following sermon podcast is a glimpse into the community of Central Bible Church, where we strive to welcome everyone into Jesus' life. We hope that you can join us for this Sunday service as we gather together seeking to live in and for Christ. We're going to continue in our worship with the reading of the word, and if you want to turn to Psalm 32, uh, you can feel free to follow along or just listen. So Psalm 32, a psalm of David. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous sing, all you who are upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks, Mackenzie. I am going to talk about everybody's favorite subject today, sin. But before we get there, uh, how many of you were at our harvest party on Wednesday? It was fun. We turned this entire sanctuary uh, into a fall kind of harvest carnival, and we had a pumpkin patch and bouncy castles and uh, amazing, like, four different types of chili that was homemade that Katia had spent the whole week making. Uh, we had face painting, a clown, balloon animals, ring tosses, all sorts of other stuff. And pies, so many pies. So if you weren't here this, this last time, we're going to do it again next fall and I invite you to come. And you don't have to have kids. You won't, you know, people won't think you're creepy if you just show up to hang out and have fun with the church. We'd love to have you there. So next year, uh, please be there. Also, we are, we're missing our youth group right now, at least our junior high. Our junior high is out at the beach right now on a, uh, a retreat with Russell, and they'll be back this afternoon. So let's be, keep them in our hearts and our prayers uh, as they are traveling back from the coast. Um, they're going to be tired Russell in particular will be tired, so as a, as a former youth pastor, it's always nice to have those extra prayers as you're driving that 15-passenger van back because you got a lot of uh, squirrely, tired teenagers, 
and you, are, you yourself are tired. So, and probably feeling like a teenager after a weekend being with them. Uh, last Sunday, I was, I was a little under the weather. I had been feeling nauseous and wanting to puke all, all weekend. Uh, and I had, actually, earlier in the weekend. And I didn't want to tell you last weekend because, A, uh, it probably wouldn't have helped me preach, and maybe I would have wanted to actually throw up. Uh, and also, you didn't want to hear. I didn't want to tell you about it last week as I felt it. Like, you, don't, you didn't need to be a part of that. But this week, I am feeling much better. In fact, I am feeling hashtag blessed. Okay? I'm feeling great today. I woke up this morning, and I brewed a cup of coffee, and I sat down at my table, and all I could think to myself was, this coffee is amazing. I am hashtag blessed. And then after that, I went over to my couch, and I, um, I'll get there. And as I went over to my couch, and I grabbed my little 11-pound wiener dog, and I cuddled with her on the couch, and she adores me. Okay, I am her favorite human in the whole world, and she comes running to me, she licks me, no matter what happens, she loves me, and I am hashtag blessed. And then after that, I, I went outside, started walking to the church in our beautiful city. It's beautiful. I had the, the morning mist was filling my nostrils. The breeze was filling my lungs, that crisp morning breeze. I saw those autumn leaves on the ground, all sorts of colors. And I, man, so hashtag blessed. What about you guys? Are you feeling blessed today? Are you feeling hashtag blessed? So some of you in here, some of you are chuckling. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, consider yourself hashtag blessed. All right? Currently on the social media site Instagram, there are over 101 million posts with hashtag blessed on it. That's a lot of, um, that's a lot of, uh, a lot of posts. And those are both by humans and pets alike, just to be clear. <laughs> and so I thought it would be a good exercise for us today to look at a few of those 101 million posts. And I went through a bunch and I, I tr it's hard because there's 101 million to choose from, and that took me a while. I spent most of my sermon writing just doing that. And then also, because it's the interweb, there's not all of them are appropriate to show in church. But I grabbed five. So if you could throw the first one up here, Tucker. You see this guy working out. I want to notice his screen name, Pancakes and Abs. As I look back on my life, I realized that every time I thought I was being hashtag rejected, I was actually being hashtag redirected to something better. Hashtag blessed. All right, next one. I'm so excited and I just can't hide it. Hashtag blessed. Next one. Really digging into this new, I don't even know what all that means. Hashtag blessed. What an awesome truck. Next one. Living the life. Hashtag blessed. And then last one, because we found each other, I get to be happy forever. Hashtag blessed. Aww. Look at the sunset in the background. Don't they look happy? No worries at all for that. So now I know that looking at those pictures is uh, probably humorous and sad and also an intriguing analysis of our culture. Uh, but I think it's pretty clear what our culture thinks being blessed means. It means awesome beach views, 
great abs, a nice truck, and great friends. What about you? What does it mean to be blessed in your life? I bet if we took the time to think about it, I think we would realize that the moments in our life where we feel the most blessed are those moments where we are experiencing something or getting something that we think is beyond what we deserve. Whether it's sitting on the beach in Hawaii, having a baby, getting married, uh, getting an unexpected gift from a friend, or sipping a cup of coffee on your back deck as the sun is rising in the morning. You feel blessed because something inside of you is welling up that feels good. But the Bible talks about being blessed, and it comes from a much, much, much different perspective. Jesus says in Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall, re- uh, blessed are the meek, uh, for they shall be, uh, they inherit the earth. Sorry. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then lastly, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Those blessings look nothing like our Instagram culture. But these blessings are the blessings that come from Jesus Christ. And our psalm today takes another look at the idea of blessing. And it it comes from following the God of the Bible. So if you have your Bible, open it up to Psalm 32. It was already read. Some of you are already there. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab a Bible from in front of you. And it's on verse, or it's on a page 395 and 396 of the Bible in front of you. So he starts off, David, this is written by David, blessed is the one whose whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. Psalms 32 is one of two psalms that commentators believe that King David wrote after his affair with Bathsheba. And so for those of you who don't know about that story, uh, it's a dark, a dark story um, that looks more like a modern-day soap opera than something that you would read in our Bible. So I'll give you the short version here. King David was supposed to be at war. He was up on top of his palace on, top, on the roof, and he was looking out at the city, and he noticed uh, a beautiful young lady that was on a rooftop next door. And he asked the servants, he said, servants, can you go uh, grab, get that young lady and bring her back to me? And so they did that, and filled with lust, He slept with her, and surprisingly, shockingly, she becomes pregnant. But there's a problem, because Bathsheba is married. She has a husband. And that husband, Uriah, just so happens to be out fighting the war that King David is supposed to be doing himself. So David has to do something. He has to cover up his sin because he knows he has made a big mistake and it's going to get exposed. And so he, he calls to Uriah, he sends people to Uriah, and he says, come home, take a break from the war, come take a break from the battle, and, and be with your wife. And Uriah, who was a man of uh, upstanding character, said, I can't do that. 
I can't leave the men who are out on the front fighting a war that I'm supposed to be with to come back to be with my wife. And so David has a problem. David has a problem because he, is, he has sinned against Uriah and against God, and now she's pregnant. That's the big problem. That's probably the one he's mostly thinking about at this point. And Uriah won't help him out, won't help a guy out here. And so he has no choice in his mind. He says to his, his uh, generals and his people, put Uriah at the front of the battle and make sure that he gets killed. Pretty brutal, right? Not only do you take somebody else's wife, you then have them killed to cover it up. The story continues, and Nathan the prophet confronts David on his sin. And David becomes a broken man after being confronted on his sin, and he wrote these two psalms, Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, after that. And so commentators believe that Psalm 51 was written pretty much right as he's confronted on his sin. After he's broken on his sin, he cries out to God for forgiveness. And then Psalm 32, this psalm that we're looking at, was written later as David is reflecting on what had happened and the grace and forgiveness that comes from Jesus, comes from God, and then now Jesus' son. And so in Psalms 32, David says that blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven and sins are forgiven. Here, blessing has nothing to do with good experiences. David has committed a heinous sin and now understands and feels the forgiveness of Jesus, Jesus Christ. And so blessing, it comes nothing from those good experiences, but it comes from getting real with our sin and the, result, the joy that results from knowing that God will carry our burdens. And David knows the way sin ravages us and is tragic in our lives and the way that it affects our mind, body, and our soul. He continues, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Before David talks about confessing and offering his sin to God, he first talks about the brutal nature of unchecked sin in our lives. David uses physical descriptions uh, to speak to the inner soul turmoil that is going on inside of him. He says that his bones were groaning all day long, meaning his body was aching as he worked, as he ate, as he breathed. He felt that heavy oppression on him of his sin, a burden that was crushing down on him like a barbell. I wouldn't know that feeling because I don't work out. I know it surprises you. But he, the, the crush of the barbell down on him or, or like the heat from a southeastern summer. Anybody been to the south in the summer? Talk about oppressive. That's oppressive. Nobody should have to endure that. And so his strength was sapped. And so most of us have felt this physical incapacitation that comes from spending, uh, say, the entire day in the heat. Maybe you're at the beach, not an Oregon beach, but a Californian beach, or a Florida beach, or a Texas beach, or Hawaii beach, somewhere where it's actually warm. And you, 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 don't, uh, you don't drink enough water, or you've you just been in the heat and you come back in after that day. Or maybe you've been working really hard in your yard, digging holes and planting and mowing and clipping and 
all the things that you do outside. You don't drink water or Gatorade. And then you come back in and your strength is sapped. You feel like a raisin. And then you just fall on your couch or you sit at your kitchen table with a nice glass of water waiting for your body to be revived. Or maybe to get a bit more graphic for you, a couple weeks ago when I was cleaning out the basement of the Wilcox house, because uh, we sold it, we told you guys that, and we were cleaning it out, uh, I came across uh, a dead mouse, and it was very dead and very old and flat. Have you guys, have you experienced that before as you're cleaning out your garden shed or your basement or your garage where the mouse or the rat, its life has been sucked out of it by the, the heat and it's flat, like a piece of cardboard that you can kick across the ground or like a leaf that when you step on it, it goes crunch. That's what David is describing here, metaphorically speaking, of course. The power of sin is so ravaging that left unchecked, you begin to feel like that. Like that brown leaf that's withered or that mouse that is flat on the basement floor. And today, if you're feeling that, if you're feeling that in your life, the good news is you're in the right spot. You're right where you need to be. If you feel like you're carrying a burden that you can't carry any longer, you're here in the right spot because Jesus wants to help you carry that. God wants to bring healing to your life as you turn to him. But that healing, that healing for your life, can only come when you're willing to acknowledge your sin and your need for God. David continues, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will reach, out, will reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. So moving into this next section, David acknowledges his sin and doesn't cover up his iniquity. David starts the process of dealing with sin the only way you can start the process. You have to acknowledge it. You have to own it. And every single one of us is guilty of this. Every single one of us, me included, is guilty of trying to justify our sin or to pretend like it's not a big deal. I love, well, I don't love it, it's sad actually, but it's, it's interesting when you hear the apologies of celebrities, whether it's like an athlete or a politician or somebody in Hollywood, almost without fail, they apologize for something that they've done, but they don't actually apologize. They're like, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. Something made me do it. And so I, I looked through a bunch of them this week, and kind of like Instagram, they're pretty sad. Um, and most of them, again, were not, were not appropriate, but I found a couple. Blake Shelton in 2016 apologized for something really terrible that he had tweeted and that surfaced from many years ago. And this was his apology. Everybody knows comedy has been a major part of my career and, it all, and it's always been out there for anyone to see. That said, anyone that knows me also knows I have no tolerance for hate of any kind or form. Can my humor at times be inappropriate and immature? Yes, hateful, never. That said, I deeply apologize to anybody who may have been offended. Not hurt, offended. So there's not even an apology there. He's just apologizing that somebody was offended by what he had said. 
And then there's the famous Harvey Weinstein apology. He says, I so respect all women and regret, regret, regret what happened. He's not even apologizing in his apology. I'm not going to spend too much time on that one. So when we deal with sin in our lives, let's be honest with ourselves, with others, and with God. Have any of you tried praying? Like when you're praying and you're asking God or for forgiveness or you're telling him your sin, uh, and it ends up being more like you're talking to a friend where you're just trying to justify something that you've done. You say like, man, I'm sorry for gossiping. That person just drives me kind of crazy. Oh, or I'm sorry for losing my temper with my kids and being so angry. They just drive me up the wall, up the wall and I want to strangle them. Or, I'm sorry for looking at pornography. It's just really hard to stay pure these days. There's so many distractions. So you're like, sorry, but I'm not sorry. So I want to tell you something that comes as a surprise, maybe. When you are talking to God, he already knows what you're telling him. Nothing's going to come as a surprise to him. So when you're confessing your sin to God, just call it what it is. Just tell him what happened, because you're doing that for you and not for him. You're not letting him in on this secret that you've been keeping from him, saying, hey, be a part of this. I want to tell you something that nobody else knows. Invite God into your life, not because he needs to know what happened, but you want him to be a part of the transformation process, to open up your life to what he can do for you. The Hebrew word for confess is actually a word picture of opening up your hand. So you, you confess, you open up your hand, and God takes it from you. He takes your sin because he is the only one that can carry such a burden for you. You can't carry that burden, only he can. Your sin, my sin, will crush us. It will crush you, crush me but it won't crush Jesus Christ who died on the cross. Jesus Christ will not turn away anyone with a repentant heart. No sin, no shame. Nothing is too great for what he has done on the cross. On the cross. In fact, the only heart that he wants is a humble and repentant heart. A heart that says, I give up. I need you. I can't do it on my own. In fact, if we cover up our sin, God won't. But if we don't cover up our sin, God will. Exposing our sin and being honest with ourselves and with God is the only way we can find true joy. It's a joy of repentance, the true blessing of dealing with our sin by honest confession and receiving God's forgiveness. The 13th century reformer Martin Luther said, sin has but two places where it may be. Either it may be with you, so that it lies upon your neck, or upon Christ, the Lamb of God. Now, if it lies on your necks, you are lost. If, however, it lies upon Christ, you are free and will be saved. There are, this morning, there are only two places that your sin, my sin, our sin can be, with you or with Christ. But why do we fear revealing our sin to God? Why are so many of us ashamed to open up our life to God, to let him in? And I think it's a couple of reasons. I think we fear because we fear judgment. 
We are so trained by our culture and our flesh to avoid sharing our sin and our shame because people around us will not only judge us, they'll put us down. But when we turn to Christ, there's no judgment. He's already taken it for us, and we are free to run to him to get his forgiveness in our life. He's paid that price for us. I think another reason we don't want to reveal our sin to God is because we feel totally unworthy. It's a big one. We look at our life and our sin, and we feel like we are totally unlovable. You ever felt that? You felt unlovable? You say, my sin is too great. Why would anybody want me? But the Bible tells us that God has much, much, much bigger plans for us. Micah 7, 17 says, Who is God like you, who pardons sins and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. We have a God who loves to show mercy. This feeling of being unlovable is a product of the painful dysfunction that exists around us. That's not God. So many of us are constantly told that we aren't good enough, pretty enough, or smart enough. Or we grew up in an abusive home where we were never good enough. So we hide our shame. We hide from everybody, including God. We fear to confess our sin because it holds us captive, like a prisoner, telling us that we are unlovable. It skews our perspective like somebody walking through the desert, looking at a mirage. They see in front of them a cistern of water, but it ends up just being another dusty dune. But that guilt, the guilt that controls our life, that weighs us down, it's like a huge block of ice. You keep it in a cold, dark spot, away from everything, away from light, and it stays hard stays frozen. But when you bring that light out, or that, the ice out into the light, into the heat, and you identify it and you confess it, it begins to melt. And soon, it's just a puddle of water on the ground. And so our soul becomes free, no longer frozen by that unaddressed guilt. Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection is the only hope of salvation for you, for me, and for all of us. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, you're in the right spot. Stop hiding. Stop hiding from Christ. Stop thinking that you're unlovable. Know that he loves you. And he loves you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross, to take that punishment for sin and death upon himself. And not only die, he rose, he rose, he conquered sin and death, and he rose once and for all so that we wouldn't have to experience that same death. And he invites you into his life. He wants you to be part of his life. And all you have to say is, I can't do it. I can't carry my sin, my burden, my shame. I need you to do it for me. And you choose to follow him. You make him the king of your life as he invites you into his I want, I want to invite you, if you haven't made that decision today, if you don't know him as your savior, figure that out today. Pray. Invite him into your life. In communion, we're going to have people in the back that would love to pray with you, to talk with you, 
to hear your story and to tell you more about Christ. He wants to carry that burden. Christ wants to carry that burden as you put it on him. Don't leave without confessing and giving your life to him. Jesus is calling out to you. It's his voice. He wants you. He wants you to be part of his family. He wants you to be part of a church who can love you and grow with you as we learn to to live more in Jesus' life. And David talks about that. He says, I will instruct you, continuing on in Psalm 32, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, must, but, must, but must be controlled by a bit and bridle, or they will, come, uh, or they will not come to you. In verses 8 and 9 here, the voice changes from the voice of David to the voice of God. And God's main counsel here is, stop being dumb. That's the translation. It's way easier for you if you listen to my gentle voice. Do what I tell you. I have your best interest at heart. God wants us to follow his counsel that he lays out in the Bible, not because he's an angry, spiteful, malicious God, but because he's a loving, caring God and sees the big picture. In fact, Psalms, the book that we've been in the last couple months, starts out just like that with Psalm 1. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or, take, uh, or, take, uh, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. God wants to bless you for following his counsel, but it's not the type of blessing that our Instagram world talks about. Instead, it's a blessing with, uh, with a deep faith that is totally and utterly dependent upon God. And it stays strong both in the good seasons and in the bad seasons. And I don't know about you, but I would love to be a a more mature Christian who is stable in the good seasons and in the hard seasons. And that comes from continuing to press into Jesus, to continuing to want to be part of his life as we grow with him, confessing our sin each and every day to him. And what happens to a person if they don't follow the counsel of the Lord, instead choosing to do their own thing, It's not super flattering. Uh, God compares that person to a stubborn mule who is so dumb that there has to be a a bit put into their mouth so that they can be driven in the direction or dragged in the direction that they need to go. It's not a pretty picture. And God does not want to do that. God's desire is to not make your life difficult to get your attention. He doesn't want to put that bit in your mouth. Instead, Jesus wants to use his steady and gentle voice to call out to you. I love you. Follow me. I'll be with you. Sheep hear that voice. They hear the voice of the shepherd, and Jesus refers to sheep often in the New Testament. In John 10, 14 through 16, it says, I, Jesus, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, 
and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Instead of being mules, God wants us to be sheep. Sheep hear the voice of the shepherd and follow after him. They don't need a bit in their mouth or reins to guide them in the direction they need to go. When a shepherd calls his sheep to water, they go. When a shepherd brings them into the barn and out of the weather, they come. When the shepherd knows that there is danger present, he brings them in so that he can protect them. The same is true of us people who are created by God. God is calling out to each of, each of us, individually, as a church, to follow after him, to follow his commands. And we are left with a choice. Are we going to learn by command? Or are we going to learn by crucible? What's a crucible? A crucible is a, a little bowl or container that is used to hold a metal or hard subject, or like a hard substance, that literally gets pounded into the shape that it's supposed to be. It's not a gentle process. It's a process that takes high temperature and high pressure. It's brutal, and it's an intense way of changing hard substances or hard hearts. In the same way, we can follow the gentle and loving commands that God has given us, or we can learn the hard way and refuse to listen and learn by crucible and use the difficult circumstances that are put in our life as God brings us into alignment with his will. Sometimes we learn easy, sometimes we learn hard. So what is the voice of our shepherd saying to us? He's saying, please trust me. Know that I'm good. Know that I'm sovereign. Know that I care about you. Know that I'm perfect. And know, know that I love you. Today, will you hear your shepherd's voice? He's calling out to you. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, he's calling you to join his flock. To once again be in the love and the grace of following him closely. And if you already know Christ as your Savior and you've been straying, hear his voice too. Don't be off on the side. Come back. Be part of the flock. Jesus wants everyone in this room to follow his gentle and loving commands. He's inviting us to be part of his life rather than the opposite. Rather than say, hey, we know you're good and you're our shepherd. Come be a part of what I'm doing. I've got this great thing going over on the other side of the field. It's awesome. Let's go to him. When we are part of his life, when we, we get to experience the blessing, hashtag blessing, of joy as we trust him to take our sin and our shame and put it on him. And David finishes it out. He says, many, back to his voice, many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. 
Sing, all you who are of upright heart. It's very joyous. Sing, rejoice. He's saying that over and over again, three times. I like what the ESV and the NLT says. It says, many are the sorrows of the wicked. Sorrows of the wicked. This is compared to the Lord's unfailing love that surrounds those who trust him. Like many of the Psalms, it concludes the way it starts. It comes back to the beginning. And we see that we must trust the Lord is good and that he blesses those who turn to him for forgiveness. Not a pretty process, but it's a good process. We are to rejoice, be glad, and sing, not because we are perfect, not because of what we have done, but because we follow a perfect and loving God who is our sacrifice on our behalf. As followers of King Jesus, we have great reason to rejoice. Actually, the best reason to rejoice. We have the best reason to rejoice out of everybody because a burden and a debt, a debt has been paid that we could never pay. We're not going to be held account for it if we follow Jesus and ask his forgiveness in our life. So to bring it full circle, in a world that is always trotting out before them a life that seems idealized and perfect, hashtag blessed, on Instagram, Facebook, and the other social media platforms, or in churches where we pretend like everything is all right. We're good. Things are great. I'm here. I'm happy. Let's be a church that really knows what it means to be blessed, not just say it. Man, God's so good. I'm blessed. Hashtag blessed. So great. This is all true, but the real blessing comes from not having to carry the burden of sin and shame, but instead that we can confess and hand over our broken, brokenness and our broken hearts to him. We can be real and honest with our sin and struggles. And only when we do that, we'll know the full blessing of God's forgiveness and grace in our lives. If we minimize our sin, we minimize the grace of God. We can have immense joy for what God has done for us and the freedom that we now have as we live our life with him. Will we be perfect? Not hardly. Are you going to wake up on the beach with a sunrise over the ocean? Probably not. Are you going to have a, like a fairy tale relationship? Doubtful. You might have a cute dog. You might have some unruly children. Maybe you'll experience some, you know, some great things. But every day we confess our sin to Jesus, we will live with the joy that comes from repentance and right standing with our creator. A joy that says his righteousness covers all who are willing to follow after Jesus and make him the king of their life. Hashtag blessed. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We really do. And it's so hard to open up our sin and our shame to you because we, we feel like it's easier to hide it. It's, it's easier to hide our brokenness than to, to give it to the one who can actually do something with it. 
Lord, help us not to give in to what the world around us and the culture around us says that blessing means, the great stuff, the big cars, the fancy vacations, the great coffee, whatever else it may be, Lord, but that we would understand blessing because of what you have done, that the greatest blessing has come from what you have done in our lives. Help us to be men and women who know and experience that and who can share it with other people that we would be so thankful that the, the type of church that we have here would be one where we can be honest and sincere about our brokenness, not to minimize it, to justify it, or to say that it's all right, but so that we can give it to you so that you can carry that burden and that we can trust together that that's enough. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for the men and women that are here and their desire to be part of that type of community. Amen. We desire to be formed by the Word of God in community. If you have questions about this week's sermon, we would love to hear from you. For more information about our church, please visit centralbible.church.